This is the Teaching Primary Music Podcast, where you will learn effective, tried and true methods to teach children the gospel of Jesus Christ through music. I am Courtney Ekman. And I am Charlotte Dance. Today we have a special guest with us, Lacey Richards. Lacey is a primary music leader in Northern Utah. She loves serving in the best calling in church. She and her husband have five children, the youngest of whom recently graduated from primary. She was raised by parents who enjoy music and made it a big part of family life. While she claims more musical enthusiasm than talent, she loves using music to teach gospel principles. Her goal is to make primary a place where everyone feels welcome and loved and where every child has positive experiences that help them look forward to being in primary. Using the methods Charlotte teaches makes working toward these goals so much easier and helps her provide engaging, rich experiences for her primary children each week. Welcome, Lacey. Thanks for that bio. Thanks for having me. Tell us about how you found out about the methods Charlotte teaches. Before I was called as the primary music leader, I was a primary president. And um, this is a big upgrade being the music leader for sure. But as part of that calling, I joined your Facebook group. As the president, I, you know, I joined activity leader groups, music groups, presidency groups, you know, just trying to have resources for all of the primary workers that I was working with. And it really resonated with me. I was intrigued by the science and that there was a why behind it. That really resonated with me. And it really gelled with my own observations of how children engage with music and how they learn through music. Oh, that's a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) Now you are the primary music leader and you teach in a combined primary. So you've had to adapt these methods a little bit to be able to teach such a large range of ages at once. So developmentally, I'm sure as a primary president, you could see that there was a difference between the five-year-old and the 10-year-old. Yes. Tell us what you're doing that reaches that kind of developmental difference. What do you do? Yes. Yeah. That's, I think, first of all, you have to acknowledge that it exists, you know, and in the time between when I started serving as the president until now serving as a music leader, our ward went through a big transition where we just don't have the numbers of kids that we used to. And so combining makes sense for us. Some weeks we have eight kids combined. Some weeks we're lucky and we're in the high teens. There are reasons that we do it. And so I think you have to acknowledge the challenges, but also recognize that there are ways to make this work and still be successful and have it be a great experience for everyone. I think a lot of the methods that you teach really do work with some adaptations for those mixed age group primaries. And then I just like to point out to people that, you know, we talk about this in the church a lot, that sometimes there's an ideal and we deal with something else. And so with combined primaries, you know, recognizing that while there are challenges, there are also some things that I think are even benefits in some circumstances. I think it it helps my kids who, especially some of my younger ones, who struggle a little bit with being away from mom and dad. It, it's great to have an older sibling in the room. Yeah. We have some kids with special needs whose siblings know what they need and how to help them um, get the most out of what we're doing. And so there are some real benefits there. I also love going into nursery, love being able to go do that music time in the nursery. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't have a combined primary, I wouldn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I like that I'm able to take those methods that you teach, bring them right into the nursery 
And when those kids come up into primary, they already feel comfortable. They know that singing time is fun and engaging and they're excited to be there. So what is it that you do that's engaging for the children? I think one of the tips that I would give a new music leader in this situation is you don't need to do elaborate preparation. I don't do what most people would call games. We do activities instead. I have a two gallon Ziploc bag that goes under each teacher's chair. And in there we have egg shakers, rhythm sticks, a scarf, scrapers made out of pool noodles for each child. Just having that ready to go every week really cuts down prep. We use it every single week for our learning activities and the kids love it. They don't get tired of it. With these methods, I think, you know, back to what really got me hooked on them is they work. I'm happier. The kids are happier. We're all having fun together. We're feeling good about the time we spend together. They can be engaging across the age group spectrum. Now, let's be clear. You don't use all of those things that are under their chair. No, no, I just have the whole bag ready to go uh, because I have learned through experience that it is so much easier to keep kids attention than to get it back. So my goal is not to lose it. (laughs) That's an amen. What are your favorite methods that you've adapted? What works well for combined primaries? Sure. I think I'd put those into three, maybe broad categories. So movement. Movement works great for our primary. All the ages like it. There are a lot of different ways we can use that movement. And I can get into some specifics later if you'd like. But movement would be one of those categories. Second one would be ways that we recognize and feel and participate in the beat and the rhythm of the song. And then the third one would be using actions. I use a lot of ASL-based actions. Don't claim to be fluent in any way in that language, but we have some special needs kids who utilize that language to some extent. And so we love being able to use elements of a language that our friends in primary use to communicate. So you said movement, ways of recognizing the beat and some kinds of gestures, ASL yes. gestures. So yes, give us the, the lowdown. Give us the details sure. of that movement. Sure. Because you've so, got three-year-olds and you've got 10-year-olds. So what do you do? They're yes, different. they are. They are very different, but they all love moving and feeling the music. My goal is not to have them sitting in a chair quietly, you know, Don't be tapping your feet. Don't be touching your neighbor. No, no, get up. We're going to do a partner activity. You are going to be clapping hands with your neighbor. You're going to be moving to this beat. I think one of our favorites is if I ever need to pull something out that I know every child in that primary room is going to love, we pull out our paper plates and do our pattern to I will be valiant. We do our slap, slap, march, march, march. And every kid is right back with me. That's one of their favorites. That's the one that they walk out the door saying, this is so much fun. And it's those older kids sometimes who stereotypically are a little harder to reach. They're the ones who can't get enough of it. Say slap, slap. We want everybody to understand what you're doing. So try and explain it in a... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we hold those paper plates in our hands like symbols. We clap them together. So for I will be valiant, you know, they would come together on the Lord needs valiant and then stomp, 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 and then repeat that pattern. And it gets Um, them moving and feeling that beat. So symbol crash, symbol crash, stomp, 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 symbol crash, symbol crash, stomp, stomp, stomp. Wonderful. Yes, exactly. And thank you for being the one to sing it. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so there's one idea of movement. What's another idea of movement that you use with both ages? Because I don't know how many four-year-olds are going to get their cymbals crashing at the right time, but you've got your older kids helping. So what's another example of movement? Sure. So I like to use scarves in two ways. Okay. One of the ways that we use them is sometimes we will use them to maybe draw in the air or represent elements that go with the words of the song. For example, we could point to heaven if we're singing about heaven or heavenly father, mm-hmm. or, you know, we could draw an S if we're singing about our sacred duty. And I okay. love to see mm-hmm. the temple, mm-hmm. but then sometimes we use those scarves just in ways that help us feel the song. For example, this fall, we've been doing some of the autumn songs okay. from the children's songbook. Okay. So we did the it's autumn time song mm-hmm. and it's autumn, I, it's autumn time. Uh-huh. Yes. So we dropped some yellow, red, and brown leaves in front of a fan and watched how they spiraled down to the ground as they were falling oh. all around the town. And then we got our colored scarves out. We were, you know, all different colors of leaves. And we had the opportunity to move in ways that reminded us of how those leaves are moving in nature. Oh, wow. And feel the song as we did that. That's yeah. wonderful. Great job. Okay, so those are two examples of movement. Now give us that second thing that you said you would say which is the beat recognize the beat yes so this is one of the ones that we have a lot of fun with and there's some overlap with the movement one of my favorite go-to activities is we have some body rhythm cards is what i call them i got them from someone kind who posted them on your facebook group Mm -hmm. but i have four cards that have a picture of a child clapping four cards that show them stomping four cards that show them touching their shoulders and four cards that show slapping their knees. Okay. I'll put those all up on our whiteboard with magnets. And then a child gets to come up, pick four cards and put them in order on the board. And that's our pattern for that four, four song that we're going to do. And then we will add to it. If we get really tricky, we'll have four different patterns in a row. (laughs) And the kids love to watch me try to keep up and Uh try to stay on. Um, it's, it's a challenge that the older ones really like. That's something that engages some of my um, older boys who are maybe a little bit too cool for primary, but they love that that opportunity challenge. to create a challenge yeah. for the rest of us. Yeah. Now, I know you probably already know this, but one of the things that you just said that may, meets the needs of the younger and the older is you have the word and a picture. Yes. Correct. Because yes. those youngers don't read. And sometimes even when we've got really, really smart kids that are reading at age five, they're still not symbolizing as well as they will when they're seven and eight. So you just hit on something that's fantastic is putting it in a word and in a picture because you have to for both ages. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of the adaptations that I've had to make with a combined primary is I don't utilize some of the more literacy dependent activities because right. it just doesn't work for our group. But when we do use words, we I try to do it in a way that combines it with an element that still communicates what that is to the non-readers. So if you had to give an example of that, what would you say? Sure. The cards, but what else? What's another? Yeah. Example? One of the things is that if we're going to do a reading activity, I'll have an element that is non-reading as well. We're learning the thankful song right Uh, now. mm -hmm. And so, you know, we might depict a number or a short word, 
but then there's a visual and the partners can try to find each other. So someone's holding the number one that, yeah, some of the three-year-olds might not recognize their numbers, Mm -hmm. but that person holding the number is one of the older kids who's going to recognize that. And then they are going to go find the partner that's holding the picture of the blessed day that they colored while they were listening and watching the video. And so they can find each other. Because of that song is what it says. Number one is a blessed day. Yeah. Yes. Just so, because people might not know that song. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then also the older child finds the younger child. Yes. Okay. Yes. One thing that I really like doing when we do these kind of guessing activities is I like the kids to go through as I sing the song, or if we're a little farther down the path and they're starting to know it, they sing with me and we check those guesses against the song. I don't tell them, oh yeah, you got it right. Or you got it wrong. Mm -hmm. We sing the song and check it, whether we're doing a melody map or we've tried to match up or put in order. A lot of times I give them one of those long finger pointers. They like to be the person to hold that and follow (laughs) along and help our primary check ourselves. Did we get it right? So you are not telling them the answer. You want them to discover. Yes. Am I right? Just so you know, that is super, super based in the research literature that it stays longer and it awakes the child's mind way better and engages them more if they're discovering rather than being told. Good job, Lacey. Okay. So I'm heading back to the beat. What else do you do to help them recognize the beat? Sure. This is where we use a lot of our rhythm sticks, our egg shakers. We'll do different types of patterns. Again, one of the advantages of having the smaller primary that usually comes with combined Mm -hmm. is that it's easy for us to push the chairs back and get in a circle, you know, and do a a pattern where we're passing the rhythm sticks or moving one chair to the right on each certain beat. Or sometimes we can also use that for a certain word in the song. Mm -hmm. And how do your three and four-year-olds adapt? Because that's something that's more complicated. It's an older thing. So how do they adapt? It is, you know, One of the things that I really appreciate is that we've been lucky enough to establish an environment where they are just sure that what we're doing is fun and that it's for everybody. And so do they get it exactly right? No, but they're engaged and they're trying. And I'm always so impressed with the things that they do pick up. I was in nursery a couple of weeks ago and noticed that one of my under twos in nursery was perfectly on the beat with the egg shakers or whatever manipulative we were using at that moment. And I mean, kids have this ability. They really do. And I think sometimes we underestimate what they are capable of Mm -hmm. and how they're capable of learning. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm going to come in with the research. (laughs) Having the children practice doing a steady beat outside of their body is a super strong way for the brain to learn. And it affects almost everything. It affects the way they cut with scissors. It affects the way they read. It affects the way they interact with other people. It's amazing. If you can't keep a steady beat, your brain is struggling to do other things. So good for you for making it be such a part of your primary. Okay. Thank you for giving me the tools because (laughs) I may love it. So, okay. So you talked about movement, mm-hmm. talked about recognizing that steady beat. And your mm-hmm. third one was. That was our gestures. Okay. Um, a lot of ours tend to be ASL based just because mm-hmm. we have some kids who use that to communicate to some mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a mom, 
I had some very, very late language development in a couple of my kids. So we used some of that to take parenting from 100% frustration to 50% frustration. Because <laughs> communication is so vital. But that is something that I've noticed really resonates with all the age groups. If you were to come in as an outsider and predict who would get those actions down, of course, you'd say, oh, it's going to be the older kids. But I've been fascinated by what you talk about, about the different learning styles, mm -hmm. because I can identify which kids in my primary. And it's not by age. It's by learning style of which ones they've got that. You know, they watch a couple times and I've got a four-year-old who, wow, they have honed in and they know it better than I do. Kinesthetic. Yeah. And, and again, I'm sorry to harp on this, but the younger children learn through gestures. That's one mm -hmm. of the ways their brain works. And so, yeah, they might be quicker than an older child. That's great. They're definitely quicker than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering if you have three activities, you've already given us some examples, but three even other activities, because anybody listening to this podcast are going to say, this is great. And how do I take it home and do something with it? So do you have right. three other activities that you might share? Because obviously you're in the trenches doing the things that you need to do to engage the children. You know, this is all based on things that you've taught me. Repetition is so important. And so I think changing it up, making sure that you're getting that repetition in different ways yeah. and in ways that, again, you know, you talk about that they don't even realize this isn't drilling kids on the words. Mm -hmm. This is, that's boring. You lose them. They don't like it anymore. I want primary to be the thing that they look forward to all week because of how much fun they're having and how loved they feel while they're there. And they feel that when they feel that success. And that's when they're able to feel the spirit of the songs that we're teaching is when they feel successful. Right. And they're engaged. Yes. Yes. So, so I like to utilize the, that 10 minute passing time that's built into the schedule because we all know that there is no faster land mammal than a kid running from sacrament meeting to primary. <laughs> I don't want to spend that 10 minutes with them getting into some other activity or conversation. And then we have to try to get their attention back. So I have videos of the songs playing as they come in. My parents raised all six of us on Suzuki music. And so, you know, that starting with repetitions from the beginning, my saintly mother always had a cassette tape playing as we went on errands in the suburban. <laughs> so I like them getting a couple repetitions of the song so that by the time that I say I'm introducing it to them for the first time, they've already heard it. Yeah. It's not unfamiliar to them. And some of those older kids, they have figured out that if we're going to do some kind of guessing activity later in, once we officially start primary, they're going to have a leg up if they've paid attention to what songs are playing. <laughs> okay. So that kind of is a challenge for them. And they like that. If it's a song that we're doing gestures with, or that maybe we've worked on before, I will do those to the video as they're walking in. Oh. And a lot of them will sit down and just start doing them with me because it's in, it's engaging to them. It's their learning style, or they think, oh, there's going to be who can show me the sign for hour in primary. And I don't want to be the one who can raise my hand, who knows what it is, you know, who mm -hmm. is excited to show all my friends. So that's one of the ways that I like to work yeah. that repetition in. Have you got any other nuggets of wisdom? I think there are ways to adapt some of your activities that normally might require more reading to be more younger child friendly. 
I'll use a lot of visual elements in crack the code things that we do. So we're not necessarily using the first letter of each line, but maybe we're creating a code where every time we talk about love, we've got a heart. And we're trying to figure out this is the code for this song that works for non-readers and readers. So you're using different shapes and different colors to put a code up there rather than letters. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great idea. That works well. One of the things I love about this is it doesn't make me hate my calling on Saturday night. (laughs) I'm not, you know, building an elaborate game or some huge visual that is not in my wheelhouse to create. This can be simple. It should be simple. You know, so even if we're just moving one chair every time we sing the word right on choose the right, Mm -hmm. they're engaged, they're learning. We can get through that song four or five times and they're still having fun. Or we're going to sit, stand every time we say the word I, me, or my, or Uh every time you hear the S sound in a word, it keeps them engaged and learning, but it's fun. It's fun for them. It's, it's fun for me. And you also get a little workout. (laughs) Again, I might say that your older children are being an example to the younger children because that recognition of an S sound or that recognition of me, my, I. Mm -hmm is not going to be there for a younger child, but they're seeing their older compatriots stand up. So they are standing and moving and being engaged and hearing the song, which is what they need. But the older children need that challenge. So yes, and they're having fun and they think they're getting it. You know, even if they're (laughs) close-ish, instead of right on, they, they feel successful. They think they're doing great. And I'm very fortunate that we have teachers who are pretty engaged, you know, so they're doing it right along with the kids. Sometimes we'll even send a link to the video to teachers of here's a song we're going to be doing. I will put the sheet music out for the teachers and say, take it home if you'd like to, because I want them singing alongside the children. I think that helps them learn. That's very wise. And if there's somebody in the room that's not engaged, it pulls the whole room down. It does. Yes, it does. So, you know, I couldn't do this without a fantastic supportive presidency. I have the best, most patient pianist in the world. (laughs) We'll follow with whatever crazy hair we're following down because something started working that we didn't plan on. Uh And so, you know, he's great to just adapt with that. Another tip I would give that I know you've shared before is we don't learn a song with the accompaniment. We learn a song with me singing the melody. And then we add in the piano on just the melody. And then eventually we're going to get to the accompaniment, but we don't start out with that. And because, do you know why do you want me to say why? Oh, I'd love you to say why. <laughs> I, I would say because it works. So let's say oh, there you go. Because the human voice has a different resonance and a different uh, wavelength than a piano does. And so a child can match that wavelength a little bit easier. If you can't stay on tune, it's perfectly fine to have piano playing the melody. But when you add the piano playing and the voice playing, it's a little more complicated. When you add the accompaniment, it's a lot more complicated for Mm -hmm. the ear to figure out. So you're super wise in getting them to have the flow of the melody in their head and connecting with those dendrites and all of the things that happen in the brain before you add the accompaniment, which is a whole nother layer. And you'll find some three-year-olds get confused with the accompaniment. I'm sure that's 
yeah exactly what you well think. you know some word choirs get confused with the accounting but it's hard <laughs> <laughs> it really is and so um yeah that that brings up one more thing that I like to do I don't know if it's based in any kind of science or if it's just my okay. preference but I love teaching the chorus first because as we do the songs I want the kids to have that sense of coming home to something they know that's familiar and again they feel so successful when they can finish strong of oh I know this part Okay, so you're in great company. Hugh Nibley is a big name in the church. His mm -hmm. brother, Reed Nibley, was the composer in residence at BYU. And that's one of the things that he always said. The brain does not like going into things it doesn't know. It likes coming home. So once you've been someplace exploring, it wants to come home. So going into the chorus after you've been exploring the verse is perfect for the brain, for all brains, adult brains included. So good job. Yes, you're in great company with that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it it really works. And again, I want them to feel successful. I want them to love being there because if they don't feel loved and they don't feel that they are part of something in primary, it doesn't matter what principle you're trying to teach through the song, it's not going to resonate unless they are feeling like they are wanted and that they belong and that they're having a good experience. So good. Mr. Rogers says that very same thing, that it, a love of learning starts with knowing you are loved. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Lacey. I have learned so much. I am a veteran of teaching combined primaries and your wisdom and knowledge has really inspired me and helped me learn and grow. So thank you for sharing thank all of you. your little nuggets of wisdom. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you both. And thank you for the community that you've created because that has given me the tools to be able to fulfill this calling in a way that I want to you can't do it without tools. And so thank you for providing that community and those resources because it makes all the difference. And you added to the community today. You really gave some wisdom things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening and a special thank you to Dana Carden for composing our music.